Hey, welcome to RushCast. My name is Jay Mantis. We're here every Monday coming at you weekly uh, for your weekly Rush Geek Out. I want to say hi to Tyler Showalter, who's a new listener who sent me an email. Thank you very much, Tyler. I hope you're enjoying the show. And thanks to everybody else who's listening right now. Thanks for being here. I want to say hi to everybody who saw K-Rush or Crush. I like to say K-Rush, too. K-Rush, K-Rush is like a, a radio station or a... If there were a Rush radio station, be hey, well, I gotta get my radio voice on. Hey, welcome to K Rush. It, w- it would be less cheesy. It'd be, <laughs> it's like a, maybe uh, what would a radio jack uh, Jackie say? Uh, Yo, listening to K Rush. Oh, thank you. The next up on our playlist. I listen to so many podcast guys who make fun of uh, radio, radio DJs. I. Uh, I'll have to practice, but yeah, let's uh, let's say hi to everybody who was at Crush and their show in Baltimore a couple of nights ago. Welcome aboard! Thanks for listening. Last week, I asked you. I had this spontaneous epiphany. What are some cool names you would give to your pets that are Rush themed? Like, I just want to know. Like, we could probably come up with some cool ones. And if I were to get, if if ever my life becomes stable enough where I can have a pet that isn't a fish, I can name it something cool. As I said last week, my buddy has a dog named Emma Watson and a cat named Liam Neeson. Like, you can you can get creative with this stuff. Uh, there's one submission that takes the cake. Like, I was going to come up with my own examples of Rush pet names. Uh, and then I, this guy emailed me with his idea and I said, forget it. I'm not going to be able to beat that. So we'll get there. Uh, Daryl Hurst says, uh, Spaghetti Lee would be a great dog name. Spaghetti Lee. I had another friend a long time ago said, uh, uh, bassists as food, Spaghetti Lee and Taco Pastorius, which by the way, that documentary is coming out. Getty Lee's in it. I got to check that out. Bytor would be a cool name. Cygnus. Uh, then obviously Judah says, why don't I just call him Getty Lee? That's cool. Nick L had a couple good submissions. Bubba. This is my dog, Bubba, and this is my cat, The Professor. Aaron S. says, how about we go clockwork and we'll just call him Owen Hardy. You guys know the backstory on Owen Hardy, the main character in Clockwork Angels, the novel? Neil and Kevin Anderson were talking about this. They kept calling him our hero before he had a name, O-H. So they just assigned names to those initials, which is pretty cool. Owen Hardy as a, as a cat, maybe. I don't know. Mick W. says, why not use the nicknames of the guys? Dirk, Lurks, Pratt. Those all work. Those are kind of uh, closer to the pet names. Dylan, uh, Dylan Bonneau has been on the show. Uh, he says signals would be a cool name for a dog. But none of them quite live up to this. Let me uh let me show you. This email. The winner of this little discussion, in my opinion, is somebody you're all familiar with. This entry takes the cake. It's from our guy Bill Middletown Meyer. He says, hey, Jay. Hold on. I'm, I'm ruining all my equipment here. Let me fix this. 
we go. Your digital discussion for this week is an interesting one for me. We recently adopted a rescue dog, and the woman, the women in my life picked it out while I was out of town. My only stipulations were that it be fixed male, they clean up the dog crap, and I get to name it Getty. Well, they come home with a pit bull mix, female, and they decided to keep her original name of Ursula. Who in the world has a dog named Ursula, Bill says. Shows you how much clout I have at my house. Despite the pit bull stigma, she's a very good dog, by the way. Anyway, besides the obvious Dirk, Lurks, Pratt references, the one I like is Milton Banana. Sure, it's a long name for a pet, but the way Alex says it on in the R30 video just cracks me up. Actually, I'm reading this now, Bill. I think it's Rio. I think it's Russian Rio that he says that. I would certainly keep people... It would certainly keep people guessing about the sanity of your household if you had a dog named Milton Banana. Great show as usual. Can't wait to hear the next one. Thanks, Bill Middletown Meyer. I emailed him back and I was like, listen, man. You're kicking a lot of butt here. This is good stuff. I I wasn't going to top Milton Banana, and I laughed for a solid 10 minutes at that. Out loud, nobody knew. No one's going to know what Milton Banana is. Referring to Rush. Man, get a new cat. This is Milton Banana. Maybe Or maybe my cat will be named Stan Getz. By the way, at the end of that rant, when he says, and that's Stan Getz, and then gets off the mic and plays the tune, at least I think that's what he's saying. It took me... So many years, I never knew what he was saying. I I had no idea what the last words of that of that rant were, and I think I think that's what he's saying. And that's Stan Getz. He talked about how awful jazz is, so he brings in the jazz guy. Also, as a jazz student, it hurts to be such a big Rush fan and have Alex kind of poop on jazz like that. But I get it. I've heard enough jazzers take huge dumps on Rush and prog metal and in the whole scene, so I guess it evens out. Maybe that's where that rant was coming from. Last week, somebody emailed me and said, am I the only one who noticed that the Grace Under Pressure art changed with its re-release? Like, it got a little bit different when they re-released the album. Here's John W. He sent me an email about this exact topic. He said, if you read the Art of Rush book, he describes his original, he being Hugh Syme, he describes his original painting as being darker than what ended up on the album. Apparently, there was a miscommunication or mistake by the printing company that produced the album jackets. I guess they fixed this when they did the reissue. And he said, other fun fact, Hugh's original painting of the cover apparently hangs in Neil Peart's home office. That's a cool piece of information. And uh, John, thank you for writing in. If I'm hoping at some point in my life I'll have enough money to afford that book because it's a really cool idea to me um, and a nice piece of memorabilia. that Not memorabilia, but it's just a nice piece of merch that I feel like I want to own as a Rush fan. And also, if you Google, like Google Image, Grace Under Pressure cover art, and you will see the difference. You will see the differences in shades and, and, and kind of... Uh, what do they call it on Instagram? Uh, the saturation it seems like it's a little bit different. Hey, OJ. This is Chad, your humble correspondent. So I'm out here reporting from the field, and I'm hearing that you only discuss Rush's albums from the 1980s. You make a great point that they have more albums in the 80s than any other decade. 
but you fail to recognize that the greatest density of albums actually occurs in the 1970s. From 1974's Rush to 1978's Hemispheres, there's six albums spanning that short time frame. That's pretty incredible. Of course, we got great radio hits out of that era, such as Working Man, Fly By Night, and Closer to the Heart. My question to you is, what three songs from the 1970s are hidden gems that most Rush fans miss out on? I got three for you, and we can go from there. I have The Twilight Zone from 2112, Cinderella Man from A Feral of the Kings, and Circumstances from Hemispheres. So tell me, Jay, what are your three favorite hidden gems in Rush's catalog from the 1970s? L- Listen, Chad, I never said you were humble. Like, let's not, let's not push the envelope here. I never said you were a humble correspondent. You'd be humble on your own time, but I didn't label you as that. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good point that their most densely packed chunk of albums is in the 70s. They were they were rapid fire producing these things. Um, maybe unlike the 80s, definitely unlike the 90s and now. Now I do sound like a radio DJ. Uh, but, it, you know, it's tough to talk about... Uh, how did you say... Uh, you know, whatever, the most, not the most neglected, but what are the biggest hidden gems in the 70s material? Because for me and you and anyone else listening to this podcast, Chad, we know this, uh, none of them are like hidden gems to us. I'm not going to say anything right now where people go, oh, I didn't know that was a good tune, but I, I do know what you mean. And it, when I write, I say these, not like, hey, you guys are missing out on this stuff, but uh, circumstances... I definitely agree with uh, you said something from 2112. Was it? I don't remember what you said. Here's mine. I have something for nothing and tears from 2112. I think those are, I mean, something for nothing, definitely more popular and more talked about, but two very, very good albums. I think the whole other side, the whole backside of 2112 are hidden gems because because the side one is so big and so popular. And my third is Beneath Between Behind is a track that I think is overshadowed by all of the other 70s stuff. And that maybe doesn't get talked about as much. Or at least it's a track I haven't talked about in forever. And honestly haven't heard in a little bit. I might have to go back and listen to that. It's been a while since I listen. I mean, I go long chunks of time without hearing fly by night and all the 70s stuff. I have to be in a very specific mood to hear the 70s stuff because it doesn't resonate with me on as many levels. It resonates really hard when I want to hear hard hitting prog rock, prog metal. When I want to hear really tasty guitar riffs and, and really good musicianship and some heavy rock. I, I love beneath between behind. I love Anthem. I love 2112. I love something for nothing, but I can listen to power windows and be in several different, uh, one of any of these different moods and it'll still hit. You know what I mean? Uh, if I've had a long day at work or, or school and I've been listening to music all day and analyzing Charlie Parker all day, that, that tax that's taxing on your head and your, your sense of, you know, your ability to listen to music and comprehend what's happening. So I'm not going to get in the car and put Cygnus X1 on. I'm not going to put Periphery on. Periphery is like the other end of it. Holy crap. 
it's it, there's so much going on that I, it, you have to be in a very clean space <laughs> headwise. But I might put on power windows and really get inside that big money solo and hear the emotion in that solo and hear all the different those kinds of emotions in Hold Your Fire or Presto are kind of pulled towards where I am headwise more often than the 70s stuff. Not that I have to justify that to you guys. <laughs> so Facebook has this trending whatever. and it, Maybe this is garbage. I don't know. Phil Collins uh, comes out and he says, I'm coming out of retirement after four years of being retired. Somebody starts a petition for him to stay retired and he gets over 3,000 signatures of people that are like, yeah, yeah, don't do that. We don't want anymore. Like, wouldn't you just not buy his stuff? If he comes out with, if he says, I'm going to make new stuff and you're like, oh, I don't want him to, wouldn't you just not <laughs> buy or not listen to it? I don't understand like actively going out and saying, hey, you suck. We don't want you to do this. And I don't under, I don't know enough about Phil Collins. Like, did he, I, I called up um, a friend who, who knew a lot about Genesis and knows uh, uh, some Rush stuff as well. I said, what, what's the deal? Like, does he have a reputation? Because I'm too young to know anything about Phil Collins. He said, maybe maybe this stems from, like, he was in Genesis. That was a successful thing. Then he left and did his own more poppy thing. He became more of a pop artist. Uh, but I don't understand. And it got me thinking, like, that's very different than the Rush community. We would... You know, Rush is essentially in like a four-year sort of retirement. We we can expect them to do nothing for the next four years, essentially. And just because that's how it's gone in the last decade and a half, four or five years of taking a break before there's even a possibility. And this time around, there's even less of a possibility. But when they come out and say, hey, you know what? We think we're going to do a tour or we're going to write some new music. I don't think there's a person on the planet who would say, don't do that. Hey, I started this petition, guys. Uh, can you sign this? Oh, yeah. What, what, what's it say? What is it for? Oh, it's us to send a rush. We don't want them to make any more music. Like that, That's not happening. So I'm confused. If you know anything about Phil Collins and why this is happening, uh, let me know, please. Rushcast2112 at gmail.com. Here's this week's digital discussion. I'd say that there. Check this out. Alec Pugliana sent me, because last week I said, oh, there's this version of Mission that has never seen the light of day. And it had, I remember Getty talking about, oh, yeah, we recorded like a horn section with like a, like a concert band or something over Mission, but it never made it into the album. Well, Alec sends me the track. I don't even remember where he got it. I think I think he might have said it was a bonus track on the R40 box set or something. I don't really care where it came from, but because I have access to it now. Here, here's it's not vastly different. There's some parts in the middle of the tune, and I'll play them for you here.
That's cool. Alec, thank you for sending that in. We might even hear from Alec later on. I'm glad I finally got to hear that. I know my dad's going to lose it because that's my dad's ultimate favorite song. And uh, my dad loves Chicago and he likes horn sections. So he'll dig it. I don't know if it works or it doesn't work. It's just cool to hear something different. Here is today's digital discussion. The R40 Tours set list skipped four albums. Test for Echo, Presto, Hold Your Fire, and Power Windows. Let's say you have the ability to go back in time and alter those set lists and force the band to play one track from each of those albums of your choosing. What are you going to pick? And that would be a cool set list. It would be cool to have one set list that includes every album. Like, like R30 was going to do it, and they, for some reason, skipped Presto, and that was it, I think. I think it was the only thing they skipped. I don't understand that. Here's what I got. For Power Windows, I think we can all collectively agree. The one tune that has never seen the light of day, Emotion Detector, not only because it hasn't seen any love, because it, I think it would work great live. But the rest of that album. I think it might work live better than Mystic Rhythms, even. I think you can make an argument for that. Presto... I thought about Red Tide. I had a listener send in some send some love of, regarding Red Tide a few weeks ago, and I remembered how great it was. I just I gotta hear Show Don't Tell. When I when I first heard Show Don't Tell, I thought if I gotta hear this live, and I still haven't had it. I was relieved to hear it on different stages because I at least got to hear them play it live. But I, I want to hear it live so bad. Test for Echo. Um, I think time and motion is is too heavy to not have is my answer. It's it's heavy. It's to the core of what Rush is. Weird time signatures, uh, drop tuning. I think, or maybe not drop tuning on that one. Uh, but it's heavy. It's low. It's heavy. And hold your fire. I mean, I don't think you can argue against this. Prime mover has to be the one you choose. It has to, or at least for or for me, like. How that tune hasn't been played since its tour, I don't think it's been played since 87. That's that's incredible to me. Second Nature was a close second. I th- No like pun thing intended there. I, I think that one would actually work live. R- excuse me, really well. Somebody mentioned that they considered playing it as like a an acoustic thing next to the acoustic resist, which would have been super interesting. Because this is a that's a deep cut. Both of those are deep cuts. But that's what I got. Prime Mover, Time and Motion, Show Don't Tell, and Emotion Detector. Send me your four. Four, guys. One, two, three, four. And no others, because I'm going to tally them up. And when you send me two for each one, I don't know how to count it. One for each album. This week's New World guest is one of my older Rush buddies, Alec Pulianis. How you doing, man? Pretty good, Ed. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So I'm having you on the episode because you donated to our Kickstarter fund, so thank you for that. No problem. We're going to have a bunch of people on in the next few weeks who 
all contributed to Rushcast to keep us rolling, and I'm, I'm very appreciative to those people. And the people that want to be on the show are going to be on the show. Uh, so Alec donated. He, I also have him here because in the summer we talked about having him on the show again to talk about his R40 experience. Alex saw R40 in Toronto for the taping, correct? Yep. And he also saw them in uh, L.A., which is the thing I'm most interested in because it was the last show of the tour. Yeah, so L.A. was a really cool show. Um, We got there, and I would say... 30 to 40 percent of people seemed to be transplants uh that they weren't from la but they came to see this show and like there were people in my hotel that were uh going to the show and it was kind of the i don't know i want to say the talk of the town but it was definitely a thing and you could see some people around um for the show and I, i don't know it had a really cool vibe when you got there people definitely knew what was going on and one thing I just learned yesterday or two days ago was actually they sold lithographs um, for that show and that show only, uh, 500 limited edition. I had no idea or I would have tried to buy one. Um, the cheapest one now is $475 <laughs> on eBay. And I was like, that's way too much. So I will not be adding that to my collection. Was um, it different than any other Rush show you've been to? Did it feel um, different? Yeah, I mean, I I've never cried at a Russia before, but I did during uh, Headlong Flight. Like it just kind of hit me during that song that this might be the last time I ever see them. And I thought I'd be like, you know, just waterworks the whole time, but it turned out that was really it. Um just that one little moment right after the solo, I was I was feeling it pretty hard and um yeah, I mean from there on out, it was pretty cool. I mean, Working Man at the end there felt really like triumphant. You know, that song always rocks, and they really brought it. Um, and then I think one of the most special moments was seeing Neil come out from behind where he snuck up. That was incredible. Um, that, I mean, that hit everyone right in the heartstrings, you know? Yeah, that was a huge moment. And um, like, we, we all, we've all seen the pictures of that moment now. Uh, it's really cool to share. And I'm sure it was different for you and everybody at that show. Were there moments like that to a lesser degree throughout the rest of the two sets? Were there was there a song where you went, "Oh, look at you know, Getty and Alex interact more than usual" or anything like that? I would say the whole encore was kind of like that. Um, I mean, those guys interact a lot, but I definitely, I mean, I was definitely looking for it. I was looking to see. You know, are they acting different for this part of the song? Um, but, I mean, they were really just, they were jiving. Uh, they, they were really jamming up there and having a really good time. Um, I actually just downloaded a bootleg from that show. I'm looking forward to listening to it. I haven't really done that yet. Um, and kind of seeing if it was, like, as electric as I remember it being. What is it like for a fan to be at, a taping, a live taping. So you're at Toronto and you know they're making the movie that night. It, can you can you tell if you didn't know they were making a movie, could you tell that things were different? Um no, not really. I mean, they definitely had more cameras up front 
and the area between the first row and the stage was larger than normal. But actually, I was kind of surprised how unobtrusive um, the camera crew was and and all that. You barely even saw them running around on stage while they were performing. Um, They're really well hidden. Um, And, I mean, Getty acknowledged it and said, you know, we're making a movie and stuff like that, but... Honestly, it, it really wasn't that different. All I can say is that I've never heard any place get so crazy about YYZ. Um, <laughs> I mean, we were, in, we were in Toronto, but you couldn't even hear the beginning because people went bonkers. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I'm really looking forward to listening to that and watching that um, in its entirety when it comes out. I know the f- a few people I've met actually at like Rackon and stuff like that are in the video. You can see them during like spirit of radio where they pan to the crowd. Um, so I'm wondering if they made it up to the rafters where I was. Um, <laughs> and, and see if there's, there's one, vi- I forget which one it was, but there was one view where I was like, my head might be in that silhouette. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're, you might be forever ingrained into rush history. Uh, I, I paused a second ago. I was trying to remember what I was going to ask you. Uh, was did daddy did, Teddy, we'll call him Teddy. Did Teddy say anything different at LA? You know, did yeah. he? I don't imagine he acknowledged this might be the last show ever. But before the last, except for the last um, couple moments on stage, did he say anything out of nor- out of the ordinary? Yeah, it was very different, actually. Um, really, he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I can send you the clip from it. Um, but basically, he was like. Um, Thank you. You guys were awesome. Uh, and be like, he, he acknowledged like their crew and he's like behalf of our whole organization. We want to thank the United States of America. And then Neil came up and he was like, Oh, what a surprise. And they like took a minute they bowed. And then he got back into his uh, spiel and thanking, you know, his crew and the team and the whole organization. And he said, and we do hope we see you again sometime. Of Bye-bye. course. And yeah, so I can and- send you that. And before um, was, that, was, was really there cool. anything said? Um, no, not that show. Nothing, uh, nothing that, more than him saying, you know, we have a thousand songs to play for you and all the other stuff he normally says. Yeah, that stuff was all the same. But the end, like I said, it was like acknowledgement of the crew and the organization and the United States of America and all those things were mentioned. Did every um, did everybody at the show know, you know, okay, they say that, they run off stage, the show's over, the lights come up. You're leaving the arena. Did everybody know the heaviness of what just happened? Or did, did you get the sense that some people were oblivious that this was such a big moment? Um, I don't know. I wasn't immediately involved. It took us a little bit to get out of the, the stadium. So I really didn't hear that chatter. Um, but what I can say is that there was a lot of energy before and during the show like um intermission everyone was really hyped and stuff like that so i mean it felt more than a normal rush show for sure um the only other thing that compared to it was toronto every other rush show was very like standard rock concert um on on like the excited and how people were reacting where their song what songs stood out you know every tour has these you know, for me, it was like Roll the Bones just kicked so much butt uh, at my show, and I didn't expect that. Um, just an early warning carried a lot of 
heaviness to it in terms of crowd reaction for some reason. What were those tracks for you, and did it differ from your two shows, between your two shows? Um, for me, like, I, when I saw Losing It, I thought that was really special. I mean, they only played it five times, right, or, or whatever they did. And um, every time that felt extremely special, uh, because it was. And I really like Natural Science. I wish they played it more. Um, that song really rocks. And I, I've i always wanted to see Xanadu. So that song was always very special. I know that during L.A., like, I felt a level of zen and just, like, like bliss um, during that song, hearing it one more time and, and maybe the last time by them. Um, that was that was really great. Um, Headlong Flight, I always really enjoy hearing. Um, I really like that song a lot. Um, and I, like I said to you, I think offline, we I mentioned that that might be the song that I also would have shown them uh, if I could show them any song. Which song because is this? Because it has uh, Headlong Flight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it has a lot going on, a lot of their elements. Um, but I think Caravan. When you say caravan, it was like, oh, that stole the show. That was that was kind of a good, good idea. Huh. Um, I think I really like that one. But yeah, no, I, a lot of those songs were really cool. But I think for me, um, Natural Science, Xanadu, I really like Camerai too. I kind of wish they played those. Um, they like interchange those rather than being every other or two. Like they had three sets and maybe just two would have been better. Um, huh. And yeah, I mean those those songs are definitely awesome. I mean, um, it was so hard for me to to not. I was trying to not hear about the set list before my show. When they played "Losing It," it was everywhere. I couldn't ex- escape it. Yeah, I saw they were playing "Losing It." The first thing I thought of was Alec was there. He was there for and and at the time, you know, a few days, a day or two after your Toronto show, in my head I thought, well, this that's the only time they're going to play "Losing It." They hadn't played it during the tour at all until then. I thought it was just a one-off for the the movie, so right. I thought it was. It must have felt very special. Did Did you feel it all pressed down a little bit when you realized they're playing it other places? Like, did you want it to be your moment? <laughs> um, a little bit. I, I mean, <laughs> not really, because I mean, it was your moment with Ben Mink. Ben Mink wasn't present for the all of the others. I think he was present for like one or two. Yeah. Uh, he was there in Vancouver, um, but I saw it with Dinklage twice. That was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I had the pleasure of seeing it three times, and that, and I feel really uh, blessed for that opportunity. But I'm glad more people got to hear it. I wish they played it the whole tour. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I so, was very surprised at how well it worked live. I wasn't surprised, but only because the uh, Rush cover band I actually saw last night, Crush, they played it um, without a violin player, but he like covered it on the guitar beautifully. They played that live, and I was like, oh, this song would rock. It like, does, like, have yeah. To play it. it rocks. Yeah. yeah, no, it was awesome when they played it, and, and I, I was really moved when they played it the first time, um, uh, and I was like, oh, I really hope they play it, and then when they did play it, it was really special. Like, I came down um, to watch the the last couple songs and losing it because I knew that I had to be coming up based on the set list changes they made. I went down and watched that with my parents and that was a really special moment with, for all of us. 
there's I want to talk about the Rush cover band Crush in a second. Yeah. Um man, there's something else I want to say before that. Uh losing it playing live. Uh, I don't know. Oh, well, you know, it, <laughs> I remember it it's kind of it's kind of nice. It's a nice feeling to have a sense of uh f- coming full circle with uh with Dinklage to have like sort of this all-star he's like kind of the all-star of the clockwork angels string ensemble he's back for the next tour you know he's a huge fan he wanted to play losing it and they granted him that and now he here he is again we get to see the same guy we saw on that humongo clockwork tour we saw him for so much time that tour Mm -hmm. feels like it spanned three years but um it feels good to see him on stage again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it's cool that Rush is only three people, but I would, I would love if they if they tour again to have like a full um, like orchestra behind them, even more than just an ensemble, and play with every single song. I think that stuff's so cool. I eat it up. Um, like when Dream Theater's just... done it, and uh, and other bands have had like full orchestras. I think Yes has had one. Like those things are awesome. Um, and like, I don't know. I would that'd be really special if they it would like do uh you know three nights at Madison Square Garden with uh, a full orchestra. I mean that'd be a really special show. Let's stick with this R forty set list. Uh, they omitted or left out four albums in their you know their chron- reverse chronological covering of each one. Power Windows, Presto, Test for Echo, Hold Your Fire. If you could yep. pick one track from each of those albums to be inserted into the R40 set list, what tracks would you pick? Okay. Um, Hold Your Fire was B Prime Mover, for sure. Yep. Without a doubt. Uh, yeah, it's... it's. I, I like a lot of songs from that album, but mm-hmm. it has to be Prime Mover, which Crush played last night, and it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> like, that song's so good live. I don't know why they don't do it. Um, okay. Uh, Test for Echo... Um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say, actually, test for echo. I really like that tune. Cool. Put that instead for one little victory. You know, kind of same idea, same kind of like really upbeat, crazy drums. Mm-hmm. Although, God, I feel so like an idiot. That's nobody's heroes album, right? What's that? Nobody's heroes on that album, right? That's on uh, counterparts, but I, I make the same. I make the same mistake okay. all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was counterparts, and I was like, "That's why I didn't say it." <laughs> but I, I, I know it's. Sure. I, I'm with those two albums. I do that all the time. I used to think I used to confuse Double Agent. Was it on counterparts or Test for Echo? I used to do it a lot. That one I don't get confused because it's like two different things, and like counterparts has two things on the thing uh, on the album cover. Oh yeah, uh, but but that, that's how I remember that one. I thought so. Uh, Cut that part out. <laughs> huh. uh, um, and then... Presto. Presto. Oh, man. Um, available Light, right? That's what I had in wow. my, uh, my set list challenge. I would love that, that song. Mm-hmm. Um, Red Tide is also really cool. Yep. That song really rocks. Um, I'm breaking all the rules. Same, too. Um, <laughs> and then you've got... Uh, what was the last one? Power Windows. Um, I think we can all agree on this. 
I think it has to be a motion deck though, right? Yep. <laughs> never been pl- never been played before. Um, yeah, I mean, I love big money, but I want to get everything, you know. Totally. So I guess a motion detector. Yeah, we are. We have very similar lists. That's very nice. <laughs> so there's a lot of Which, a lot of cover bands. Um, Lotus Land is one that's I think they're Boston based that I've longed to see just because I, I I've seen a lot of their videos and I enjoy it. Uh, their stuff. But I've heard of Crush. What, tell me about them. They played in Baltimore. Yeah, they played like ten minutes from my house last night. It was awesome. Um, yeah, they play. They play here every like three or four months, it seems. And um, God, they they are so good. So they uh, they got like I mean, the guitar player has like three or four guitars plus the double neck. Uh, bass player is also the singer. Looks like Getty Lee. Uh, Ken and uh, he plays the Getty Lee Jazz and a Rickenbacker double neck uh, and his keyboards all are all on point the sounds are like perfect and uh, and Bill Murphy is on the, the drums doing uh, he's on PDPs and they're, it's a huge drum set he got wind chimes with him and uh, there's I forget what those are the, the percussions called but they're like they're not bells but they're like that, that cone that you hit uh, yeah, he has all the stuff, all the toys. And, Did you um, say cones? Yeah, it's like a, a metal cone that you hit in different spots, and it makes different like ting noises. Huh? I'm yeah, not sure what that, what that is. Yeah. So yeah, no, he has it all, man. And like they uh, they do a great job. Um, they're they're just spot on for so much of it. Um, they were loud as hell. Oh my god. <laughs> I, my left ear is still recovering from that show. <laughs> how is how was the crowd at a Rush cover show? Pretty cool. Um, there were a few people from the Raccon that I went to last time, and they're like dancing up in the front, having a real good time. Was there a big um, a big I mean, showing for it? A good showing? I mean, it's not that big of a venue at all. All the seats were taken. Um, it's not like a venue. It's like a outdoor. It, it's semi enclosed outdoor bar. Oh, like, okay. Stage thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say there were probably 50 people there last night. Um, I mean, it wasn't huge, but everyone there was having a really good time and, um, it was, it was cool to see some familiar faces, had good conversation with people during the, uh, like before the show started and during, uh, the intermission and uh, a little afterwards, we all kind of like chatted and, and caught up and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it, they were really cool. And there's actually a few other cover bands like, um, Blame Canada is Virginia based, and they're coming up to Baltimore in January. Uh, I'm really excited for that show. And there's another one called um, Signals, uh, and they're playing. Uh, they haven't announced anything yet, but they play in Baltimore occasionally too. I think they're actually Baltimore based. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so what was what was the deepest track they pulled? Sorry, say that again. What was the? I mean, you mentioned losing it. That's pretty deep. But what was the deepest? track that they pulled out oh um you know actually this this time around they didn't play anything like insanely crazy deep um it was a lot of like those really high ranking songs for rush fans uh like they played digital man analog kid prime mover um they uh they played lakeside park um but the time before I saw them, they played like "Cut to the Chase," um, "Losing It," which was kind of cool, and uh, I don't know, I can't remember everything, but 
Man, yeah, I would really covered. I would oh, love to be playing. at one of those shows. I've never done that. I, I've never had the opportunity to do it. But I, I'm in New York City now. There's got to be some one of these bands that stops by. Oh yeah, no, I think Crush will get pretty close to you. Um, if you like, look at their site, you'll be able to see them. I'm sure. Okay, Crush, um, Crush with a K, right? Yep, with a K. Cool. Um, and actually, they played um all of Moving Pictures last night. Uh, eventually, they wow. didn't play it like back to back to back. But yeah, they played all of it. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like Witch Hunt and uh, Vital Signs and and Camera Eye. Like I mean, those are all are you know songs you don't hear very often. Right. Man, that's awesome, man. I, I look forward to experiencing that or something yeah. like it. They nailed La Villa Strangiato. They um, played it. <laughs> yeah, they played. That was the last song they played. Well, they they ended with Lakeside Park because people asked for an encore, and they're like, "We don't normally do this," and it wasn't on their set list, but they they played it. Um, but yeah, no, La Villa Strangiato, I mean, that's such a cool song for everyone involved because everyone has their solo moment. Everyone goes crazy at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, that's a song that if I can ever play on bass, I'll be like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I've reached a level that I want to be at and I don't, I mean, I'd like to get better, but that's, that's it. Like, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it's definitely no, not, not easy. Yet. No, not at all. Alec, thank you for being on Rushcast again. Oh yeah! Oh man, don't let's not forget about the food. You want to oh. do the food? Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> I forgot <laughs> all about forgot this. About the food. Listen, yeah, yeah, get yeah. the get this thing ready. Alec has uh, he has like a rush get together that he's he's putting together uh, to watch our forties Blu-ray when it comes out. He sent yep. uh, the the event invite to me. I totally forgot about it. I'm glad he brought it up. And I said, this has to be said on the podcast. I've forgotten in the last couple of weeks, so I said, well, geez, we're going to have Mon. We'll have him introduce it. So these are the Rush-themed foods that will be available at this viewing party. <laughs> yeah, this viewing party is going to be uh, something else. I, I Unfortunately, my one friend can't make it now, uh, but uh, we're hoping to do a good job. Now, see, Facebook is all of a sudden designed to like crash on me, which is really not... Not what I need right now. I need it to. It was a hefty list up. too. It was like I think it was like twenty five or something. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah, it's gotten out of control because some of my friends have started uh, contributing. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'll I'll make a break in the action for where I I stop coming up with ideas and where it's like friends. Huh. So I had larger bowl chips, red sector A salsa, red bruschetta, stick it out maple syrup, Xanadu honeydew. Milk of Paradise, which will be some kind of like, I guess, alcoholic combination. Fresh Garden Salad. Roll the Boneless Wings. <laughs> the <laughs> the Body Electric, which is like an energy drink or something. Uh, uh, the Big Wheel, which will just be a very large pizza. <laughs> working, <laughs> working Mandarin. Okay, so that was the last one I came up with. <laughs> now here are the rest of them. Uh, working Mandarins. A farewell to onion rings, prime mover ribs, limelight soda, fried by night wings. I love that one. Fried <laughs> by night. Uh, hold your fire s'mores. Um, entree no ice cream. Must be shared between two people or more. <laughs> um, best I can pistachio because it's a, I don't know. It's a very hard dish to prepare. I don't know. Oh, pasticho. It's, I'm sorry. Not pastachio. Pasticho. It's, it's a Greek thing. Um, that would be, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if I want to try to make pasticho that day. And, uh, 
leave that thing alone, Brussels sprouts, because nobody wants those. <laughs> oh man, I, now I don't, I don't see a huge difference between the first part of that list and the second part. I think the second part is just as strong. I, <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying that that wasn't me. Like that was my friend started contributing because I was like, yeah, let me know what other foods you want to have, and uh, that's yeah, fantastic. Things, <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be a good time. Like, actually, a few people are already telling me they'll come over early to help me cook. And um, I'm trying. I'm going to try to make themed signs so that, like, you know, we can take a picture of all this and you'll see, like, oh, larger bowl chips and, like, have, like, uh, you know, the album art behind it and use nice. the uh, <laughs> font from that album and all that stuff. If I have the time, it's going to all happen, but I'm a little concerned. I might run out of time. All the all the days have been just flying by lately. But Yeah, that is, that is a lot down. of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. It's kind of gotten out of control. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to a lot of these foods. We're going to have all kinds of wings <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and uh, a bunch of other things. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it'll be a fun time. It's just a matter of uh, kind of figuring out. Also, I mean, I have a limited amount of, like, cooking power. You know, there's only one oven, only right, one pressure right. cooker, and, you know, stuff like that. So we'll see what, how best we can do this. We'll do the best we can, though. Now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> getting real hungry yeah. now. Oh man. Hey man. Hey man, I I love having you on the show. You're great. Oh, thanks man. I love doing this. Uh like I said, it's been a while. It's been almost almost a year since we've done a prog rock block. So, um, <laughs> this has been my uh podcasting itch as of late, <laughs> but uh it's it's been great to do three episodes with you. Looking forward to maybe doing another one down the road and uh Every week, it's a it's a joy to listen to. So thank you for uh, you know putting all these together, getting some great guests on, and uh, you know you've been doing a great job interviewing them. And I, I I've been endorsing the show. I've been told a few people yesterday about the show, and uh, oh so nice, getting a few more new listeners. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great, man. I I really love what you're doing. That's so awesome, man. I appreciate it. All right, see you guys later. Brought to you no, by, I didn't say it. Brought to you by Knickerbocker. Follow my was Katie. A joke. And I do my way.
Garibaldiana essa música hoje. Não. Posso? I explode English Heart to the Morrissey. Qual? I explode English Heart to the Morrissey. Não, esqueci o meu Alexandre, né? Mas pode ser essa aqui, ó. Não sei em ré agora. <risos> 